Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Insight, the first show for 2024. Now, on January 22nd, 2024, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi inaugurated the Grand Ram Mandir in Ayodhya, marking the culmination of a decades-long campaign by his Bharatiya Janata Party or the BJP to build a Hindu temple on the site of a 16th century mosque. The construction of the temple has stirred political, religious and legal debates, reigniting tensions between Hindus and Muslims in India. The event, portrayed as a historic and national moment, has drawn both support and criticism. And this evening we delve deeper into the multifaceted aspects of this development and we are joined by Sanjay Kapoor, a senior journalist and foreign policy specialist based in Delhi, we explore questions that aim to gain a comprehensive understanding of the complexities surrounding the Ayodhya Temple inauguration and its broader implications. Welcome Sanjay Kapoor and thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, let's start with the public sentiment. Tell us or provide us with some insight into how the public, both Hindus and Muslims, have reacted to the inauguration. Are there visible signs of discontent or unity? What are you seeing or what did you see? Uh, what I sense is that uh, there is a certain amount of triumphalism which is visible where the majority Hindu community is concerned that we are about 80-85% of India's 1.4 billion people so you can imagine when the majority is happy everybody looks happy and uh, there is a great amount of noise emanating from that but uh, during my from my interaction with the minorities or the Muslims as we call them minorities uh, there is a certain amount of fear, there's a certain amount of, uh, you can say, uncertainty which is visible. They aren't very sure what lies in store for them because uh, constructing a temple happens all the time in the country, in mm-hmm. different parts, of, in different parts. But what has really happened this time around is that the Ram Temple is an outcome of a long uh, movement uh, which was uh, led by the BJP party's leadership in 89-90 and it carried on right uh, till the time they came to power. In 1992, the uh, disputed structure, as it was called, it was actually a mosque that was brought down by some uh, rowdy people. It's not some, but uh, thousands of them got together and they pulled it down. And this temple has actually come up on the the same place where uh, you the uh, the the disputed structure came down, and at every stage, I think the court guided it. Uh, they provided uh, justification, legitimacy to whatever was happening. So, in a certain way, uh, many Muslims considered a bit of a setback, primarily because they were hoping that uh, the Indian Constitution, which uh, has sworn by uh, secularism and protecting the minorities. They thought that uh, the Indian courts will stand by them and, and undo the wrong. But clearly, uh, the majority community and their demand and their insistence that on matters of faith, uh, there should be no court decision, that has kind of prevailed. And the courts did not want to be on the wrong side of the majority community. And mm. that is why you have the temple which has come up here. Yes, I was going to, you know, touch on the legal side of this because the Supreme Court actually granted the, the site in 2019 to the Hindu community, acknowledging the destruction of the mosque as as an egregious violation of the rule of law. Um, how has the legal decision influenced the perceptions and narratives surrounding the temple's construction, but also the 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 mindset of the people in India? I mean, nobody had any kind of confusion about uh, whether the temple will come up here or not because once 
months. You had the BJP in power in Delhi in 2014. It was a matter of time when it came, uh, it acquired this shape. Primarily because uh, the Bharti Janta Party is, uh, you know, deeply, is got uh, a following which is deeply religious. And as I said earlier, they have insisted all these years that in matters of faith, there cannot be a court judgment. And although mm, the suggestions are being made by the opposite side that there is no evidence and it, it was the, those idols were sneaked in, which happened way back in 1948-49, everything was acknowledged, even the 2019 judgment, if you look at it, which you stated, the courts acknowledged that uh, the, there was a violation of the rule of law how the structure was broken and what really happened. But having said that, uh, the court initiated an arbitration process by which they decided uh, to check out from uh, some Muslim, uh, you know, prominent citizens and how it was to be done. And I think they figured out that the Muslims did not have a problem about the uh, temple becoming up on that disputed land. And in fact, they willingly decided the land should be given to the Hindus who were so keen to make it. So that is why it has happened. But more, uh, you know, the most compelling part of this entire thing yes. is that the construction and the inauguration and everything has been led by the government, by the prime minister, and which goes, which is slightly disturbing or uh, yes. primarily because we live in a secular society where there is a separation between church and state. And uh, we don't expect the prime minister or the government ministers to be taking sides or doing it in public. On the day the consecration of the temple had taken place or the, the statues had taken place of Lord Ram, uh, the flower petals were showered by an army helicopter. And it was the prime minister who actually uh, did all the ceremonies, which is highly unusual yes. because all these 70 odd years we've been in part, the the prime ministers and the leaders of our countries have been believers, but they haven't flaunted their religion in public. But mm. this world has changed dramatically, and we know that it's a different world altogether. Absolutely. And uh, that's how it happened. Mm. So we're seeing the lines between religion and state being blurred and also contradicting India's secular constitution. That is what I was uh, stating just now, yes. that the, the separation has gone away. And uh, there's nobody actually uh, crying over it, primarily because it was expected. Um, people uh, who the supporters of the temple and the BJP mock at uh, so-called left liberals as they keep on uh, talking about, uh, ignoring the fact that the Indian constitution is what uh, gave them the vocabulary to speak in this manner. But uh, there are, there's no, uh, you know, there's no respect and nothing for those who are on the losing side, then I think more than the, the so-called secularist or left liberals are the minorities who are feeling a bit uh, disturbed about it. And yes. there's a visible anxiety about how life is going to be. Will the state and the political parties, uh, the BJP, will demand um, more conversions of disputed structures mm. into mm. temples or would the yes. matter will stop here because... Way back, uh, early uh, in Supreme Court, there was a Places of Justice, Places of Worship Act, which uh, froze a disputed structure and they did not want anything to be brought up again beyond the Ram Temple. So there are two of them which are very contentious. One is in uh, Mathura, which is also in Uttar Pradesh, and there's another one in uh, Vishwanath Akashi, which is also in Uttar Pradesh. This is the place where Prime Minister... 
uh, has been contesting elections for the yes. last two terms and he's been winning. And uh, there has been some suggestion to even open up the entire issue, although the Supreme Court has decided to freeze it. But if you don't know whether it's a matter of time, uh, even Kashi will go away or Mathura will go away. And again, you know, uh, it will be so-called be cleansed of uh, the uh, so-called uh, memories of the past because the, the, what is not forgotten is that uh, there was a Muslim Mughal rule in India for about 300 years before mm-hmm. the Britishers came in. Yes. And I'm sure their imprint is available all over the country, how we eat and what do we eat and what do we wear and how we speak. So this uh, entire Ramjan and Bhumi movement is meant to undo all that. And there is building a Ram temple is meant to assert to the world that the Hindus have arrived. Mm-hmm. How has the Ram Mandir inauguration reshaped India's political landscape, particularly when we look at Prime Minister Modi and the BJP as the country also approaches national elections? I think there is, uh, at the moment, as we speak, it may change tomorrow, day after, day after, uh, no one has any doubt about the BJP not coming back to power. There is a belief that the they might just uh, been getting in some 300 odd seats out of 543 seats. Then now people talk of about 400 seats, which is like mm. too much. But I don't really believe that something like this will happen, uh, despite uh, the sense of uh, you know as I use the word triumphalism, which is visible amongst the Hindus and even desire to ensure that Mr. Modi gets his uh, next term. Uh, there might be, uh, you know, some uh, glitches which will show up because on from the standpoint of economy, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, uh, unemployment, there have been a lot of hard questions that the government has not been able to answer. So uh, let's see how it uh, plays out. Uh, yes. uh, it doesn't seem very like, uh, comfortable for the government because uh, just uh, two days later after the uh, consecration ceremony that took place, they decided to confer uh, honor on somebody who belonged to the lower caste. And that surely suggests that, uh, you know, the government is very keen or the BJP is very keen to have the support of the uh, backward and the lower caste uh, so that uh, they can make uh, more out of the Ram Temple uh, search that they are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Now, when you analyze the political ramifications of the uh, Ayodhya verdict, particularly in the context of real estate, now, from what I've been reading, there's been quite a boom and also the establishment of the Navia Ayodhya Township. Tell us a little bit about that. So, you know, I was in Ayodhya about a week ago, just before the whole thing opened up. I spent some time there and going from the capital city of Uttar Pradesh, Lucknow to Ayodhya. Mm-hmm. And I realized I've been visiting it for many, many years, primarily because this was where all the big stories happened, whether yes. it was in, you know, the demolition or whether it was a movement or something or the other. So uh, this was the story that many people did. But uh, for some time, it has been in deep freeze, primarily because the construction had begun. So when I went there, I found that the city has changed dramatically. There's so much of construction such, uh, you know, um, amount of money that has been pumped in. So there is uh, there are suggestions. I don't have uh, any proof at the moment, but there is a lot of real estate which has been gobbled up. Even film star Amitabh Bachchan uh, has uh, taken a plot of land just next to the river where he hopes to build. So there is an attempt to turn this place, uh, Ayutthaya, into India's Vatican. 
Mm. And uh, they are hoping that a great amount of tourists are going to come. In the last uh, 24, 48 hours, there have been almost a million tourists who have already been wow. there. And the rush is really growing, growing like crazy because India is so highly populated and full of believers. The belief is that uh, every Indian at some time in his life is going to come here. And India is not just uh, people who live here. There is a diaspora. Maybe in your country, yes. there are so many yes. believers who would all be packing their bags to come to India to have a look at India. Uh, you know the uh, temple and similarly in the us and other places so uh, yeah so that i expectedly the price of land in the real estate has really gone up and those who are smart ones who have you know took uh, looked at the government and you know, were prompted that the land price would go up they cornered quite a bit of problem uh, real estate in their name mm-hmm. Yeah. Um well where I live and where I'm talking to you from has the second largest uh, or the largest Durban, no? I yes, know I've yes, been to Durban. That's right. Yes, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what about the underlying political motivations and uh consequences that may not be immediately apparent uh in mainstream discussions? Are they is there something that we're not seeing, you know, um sort of underneath the the water at the moment? So uh, you know this is uh, in the short term is very difficult to figure out what such happening such events uh, how they cast their shadow on them but two things are very clear is that uh, india is becoming more hindu centric than what uh, it thought in 1947 and with the kind of government that you have uh, who uh, have been accused time and again of uh, uh, being on the side of the british colonialists rather than the freedom fighters uh they are have uh, very little regard for the values of the freedom struggle which were secularism socialism and taking everybody along so they think that the cause of the hindu revival which would have happened in 1947 was lost primarily because you had somebody called jawaharlal nehru who was more wedded to the idea of uh, secularism and uh, turning india into a country for all and uh, this is their way of getting back to a part of history which they thought had been forsaken or being ignored by the congress party mm. so they think that this is a moment which will change the way india is perceived and uh, let's face it i mean say for a few countries you, uh, south africa is an honorable exception there's been a right wing revivalism which is going on and uh, they uh, the government seems to be thriving that kind of environment but worryingly indian muslims like in south africa are indigenous people they are not people who have come from outside they are not the ones uh, who can go anywhere they belong to this place yes. this actually the salt of the earth in some ways because it provides so much so uh, if the government does not take into consideration their interests we may be in for a hard time because once that conflict comes in it doesn't go away soon Yes. Now, political opposition parties like the Congress parties have criticized Prime Minister Modi for using the temple's uh, inauguration for political gain. How does that fit into the larger political discourse in India? Um, you know, are there people listening to the Congress party? How do they stand um with regards to sentiment from the public? You know, let's face it. How how do people listen to anybody? They do it through media. Mm. The media is a force multiplier. You get uh provides supply platform for all points points of views very cleverly in the last eight or 10 years the entire media has been taken over by the ruling party there is very few people who come with contrarian noises 
So if Rahul Gandhi or the Congress party is saying something, is more distorted in a manner where they seem ridiculous in the sense that don't make, don't make, um, don't seem to be making any sense. So uh, even if they have criticized, I don't think they got much traction. It's not that people, all people are sold on it. Uh, and we would say majority of them, but there are surely uh, some people who are disturbed by how uh, the constitution has been. Uh, distorted or how it has been interpreted and what the court has done and what the how the institutions are crumbling but uh, the fact is that uh, uh, it, if the opposition is saying something it, the uh, way they are described the way they say is more uh, seen from the point of view of mirth or is more as a joke mm. than anything despite the fact that the congress a uh, leader has been walking from some 6,000 kilometers he prom- promises to walk yes. and having a problem in the northeastern part of the country. But uh, I think it's a major challenge. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, we don't even know how people are going to, are reacting to it. Maybe it's ha- they're happy that a um, temple has been built and that's one part of their quest and they want to move, uh, they want life to move on, get back to democracy, get back to bread and butter issues and talk about it. We yes. don't know. That has to be tested. Mm-hmm. So what about international relations? I mean, you know, the, the temple inauguration affects India's relationships with its neighbors. How does that happen? And what has the global community, especially given religious identity, being prominent in the country's domestic affairs as well, and also the geopolitical implications that policymakers need to maybe consider? I think uh, this entire thing has been rather cleverly done that uh, it's being packaged as a domestic issue, something that has been going on for a while. But I'm sure it is. A, it will have uh, deep implications, especially in the neighborhood. Uh, when the last time Babri Masjid was demolished, uh, the disputed structure that I am referring to yes. was demolished, there were uh, riots and violence all over the, uh, in South Asia, in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, and whatever, all the places that you can think of. This time around, it may not happen primarily because uh, you have a government which has been able to manage its affairs rather well with uh, Bangladesh. And Pakistan is, uh, they, they have been a bit upset about how it happened. They issued a statement also. But uh, I think uh, in a world where there is a certain amount of religious revivalism, right wing, uh, you know, politics is returning, when you have the possibility of Mr. Trump returning. When you have uh, Mr. Netanyahu blasting Gaza primarily because he thinks that his government thinks that they are human animals and they need to go away. I don't know how this is going to play out yes. because uh, this is a different kind of politics. Absolutely. And, uh, Very unsettling. We have to wait. We have to we have to take uh, we have to take some more time to uh, uh, to process this. Uh, but having said that, there's been some objections that have been coming about the India is uh, following a certain path from the United States. So there's a commission of uh, for freedom of religion, uh, which keeps on, uh, you know, coming out with reports. And the last report, which came about a month back, they said that India should be placed under the country of particular concern, which means that the minorities aren't really safe. And we've been weaponizing uh, some of our uh, views against those who uh, oppose India. I mean, that is what they said, and they thought that uh, the, the U.S. government has not acted on the report. They'll take the matter up to, the, to their uh, Congress. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, as a journalist, how has the Ayodhya issue been covered and discussed in the Indian media? And what role has the media played in shaping public perceptions? So, the, I told you, the media has been an embarrassment, actually. It's been a huge embarrassment. And clearly so, because you have television media, they all come in the category of lapdog lap dog media, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, they pretty much say whatever the government wants to say. They criticize any voice, anything that is said about, uh, you know, about those who oppose it or those who oppose the government. And uh, they have played a big role in shaping an opinion in favor of the government, in favor of violation of constitution. Uh, so it's been like this for quite a while. Yes. And uh, the, there is a very clear divide bulk of the Hindi newspapers are just sold on whatever has happened. They've been calling it the coming of the Hindu Rashtra, which is a Hindu nation. And uh, this the some of the more uh, circumspect uh, uh, edit writers in the English media who are, you know, suggesting that we should haste slowly, not go down the precipice uh, 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 as it were. And uh, we, uh, you know, be careful about deciding on whether the i mean deciding on the path which this this old thing is taking yes now the proposed mosque that's been allocated about five acres away from the temple site it uh, faces quite a number of issues with administrative delays and financial challenges how does the delay impact on the muslim community and what challenges hinder the construction um, of the mosque so i spoke with i spoke with one of the members of the committee uh, mandated to build the temple at the mosque and uh, his name is Athar Sen based in Lucknow and he was of the view that uh, their money is short and but they hope to start collecting it uh, they have been able to get hold of control get control of the land uh, with the help of the district administration so but I don't think that uh, you know it will please anybody I mean Building a mosque is all right. There are so many mosques which come up. There's no historical significance at all. If it was there in the same place, it would have been a different matter. So this committee member has told me that they are going to have uh, a hospital also close to the mosque and they will capture the ethos of the area where, you know, which suggested that different cultures can coexist. Mm -hmm. So there is a suggestion to make a good job out of a bad one and trying to show that okay, there is still a lot of meaning out. but what is the abiding message from this is that India's institutions fail to protect despite the fact they thought there was what had been done was wrong and this you know the it was an egregious uh, violation of the rule of law but uh, they are helpless I mean if you read yes. the judgment they say the half of it says something and the other half says some, say something else. Mm-hmm. Do you see any sort of, um, you know, broader implications with regards to the South Asian region and also India's socio-political fabric? I think I've adequately answered it in the early part, you know, mm. the implications uh, on. So, you know, a, a lot of things in a functioning democracy where people exercise the vote, that would reflect how people uh, see this happening. This is not an ordinary event. Uh, the entire state machinery was involved. The PM was there. It was preceded by a public movement in which many people died. There was violence. 
So Ram Janambhumi, in my uh, memory as a journalist, as a citizen of this country, is the biggest movement that we have seen post-independent India. There's nothing like this before. And so it has a happy culmination for those who are part of it. And it's a sad conclusion for those who thought that, you know, the Indian institutions would be strong enough to uh, stop it. Mm. But uh, I'm sure uh, the triumph is always for those people who are in power. Mm-hmm. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And we look forward to always engaging with you on other issues that come by as well with regards Surely. to India. Um, nice having you, you. Uh, on my show. Thanks. I hope Bye-bye. It Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.